0: You are back with the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. This is Katherine Cruz. You know, we talked to a number of Wahoo uh, voters just after they cast their vote at uh, Honolulu Hale, and the common thread we heard was concern about the divisiveness. Bruno Rodriguez from Honolulu is a new resident who shared his fears.
1: I'm afraid of what's happening on, on the mainland. Like, I know that there's things going on in Oregon, in Philadelphia and all the other states, and I know that a lot of people don't know about it, and so that kind of concerns me because my parents live in D.C., and so that kind of bugs me, but uh, I feel like Hawaii is probably the safest, most neutral place. I'm concerned that radical people, I don't know, my my view is that it's the left that is radical, but I mean, I could be wrong, there's also people from the right that seem radical as well, but it just, it just bugs me that you know, unstable. And California is also talking about instability, and so that kind of bugs me. I feel like people here are pretty level-minded, you know. Uh, I talked to some of my Democratic friends, and they seem like they have valid points. My Republican friends, they seem like they have valid points. Uh, I feel like people here, compared to the mainland I just came from, they seem much more reasonable with their opinions.
0: And Frank from Honolulu says he feels he has reason to worry. He took part in a Trump rally at the Aloha Tower over the weekend, where he says he felt harassed. Uh, Police were there to control the situation when one woman got physical.
1: We had some problems at Aloha Tower. We were trying to wave some Trump signs and they came in. And then they started coming in between us. They started cussing at us and swearing at us and throwing a hissy fit. I don't know what's wrong with them. They're crazy. They haven't seen us go crazy yet.
0: And so what do you want to say to folks?
1: You know, just vote. Get along, man. Why can't we work together as Americans? I don't come from uh, Iran. I don't come from Somalia. I love our country.
0: Even though we went through a lot of hard times, we got to work together. We got to live and love together. You can't do this kind of stuff like this and Nanakuli voter Kaluna Ho'omanas, he says he tried to look at the issues rather than personalities when it came down to deciding the presidential race.
1: Yeah, it's divided, but um, I hope people just stop looking at the gossip and just look straight at, you know, what's it actually about, you know?
0: What's guiding you in the president's race?
1: Uh, For me, it's mostly looking at what they're, they're both are for, their platform. And for, for my, my personal beliefs, have to align with whatever the platform is. Not because I like the guy.
0: Those are just some of the voices uh, from Honolulu Hale who voted there this week. And joining us this morning for The Long View is our political analyst, Neil Milner. Good morning, Neil. Good morning. So what's your take on the presidential race?
2: Well, my take on the presidential race is that uh, we're not going to know anything definitively for probably a few days it looks better for Biden right now than it did uh, say last night um, he's doing he's doing better in the uh, in Michigan and Pennsylvania it appears there's going to be a big blue surge we talked about a big uh, blue surge blue surge has to do with um, who is most likely to vote Dem- to vote by mail and who was most likely to vote in person. Republicans, are, especially in Pennsylvania, far more likely to have voted in person, and Democrats far more likely to vote. So there's this chunk of votes in, in Pennsylvania. So if this were a normal election, what you would have is uh, the, uh, the incumbent President Trump doing better than a lot of the polls thought he would do, um, although the polls in some ways were actually pretty good. And uh, you'd have a close election, and um, then it would be settled either by the way we normally settle a close election, which is the candidate concedes when they have the, when they see that they don't have the electoral votes, or maybe there's a few challenges um, in court in regard to, uh, or or recounts, uh, or something like that. This may be totally different because of what the president has said last night and what he said before. That he's won, um, his behavior is not quite that consistent. They're going to have a recount in Wisconsin, but the fact that he's said that and he's mobilizing people along that, those lines, which essentially is an authoritarian gesture as far as I can see, means that the whole process is not normal. It may be fraught, uh, and and so on. But it's it's obviously it's obviously closer than what people than what most people thought. Um right. it's still mainly about uh it's still mainly about one side hating the other side essentially voters nowadays tend to make their choices on the basis of defeating the opposing candidates it's called well, it's called um negative party identification and,
0: Well I yeah. think you know uh what we saw you know with the polls You know, the indications from the polls was that, you know, perhaps Biden would have a, you know, a a wider lead. Yes. Uh, And I think even the Republicans were kind of surprised at, you know, how well they did, that they were holding key races, uh, you know, in the Senate. Yes. Uh, And, uh, you know, so I think the president was probably emboldened by some of those uh, results that he saw.
2: Well, uh, it doesn't take much to embolden the president. That may <laughs> sure. be the case, but on the other hand, he's been saying what he was going to do about not losing the election before that time. I think that you know the the the, the way you describe it was certainly correct that the uh, the polls had Biden winning by a larger margin. But the careful ones, the people who use polls careful, always said there's still this chance that that's that that's not going to happen. So, but if you think about it this way, that the um, th- that there always was, even among the careful people who said Trump is likely to lose. The careful uh, uh, analysts who said that always said that you, that there were going to be some states where the predictions made that, 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 he, that if he, they would be close enough, there's a margin of error. I guess that's the way to say that when you when you have polling statistics. And what you have is in a lot of places, the election was closer um, than what the pollsters predict. That's what you had in in uh, in various in various states and and some in the upper midwest. But the fact of the matter is you can't tell yet. I mean Trump mm-hmm. Trump is behind in the popular vote. I think he's about two percentage points behind, which is less than a lot of the pollsters had but still around the around Clinton area. So, you know, people can fight about the polls and worry about the narrative that they have that would ex- explain the difference, but we don't know very much about it so far. But the only thing that seems to be the case is that Trump did much better in South Florida, or you might say Biden did much worse because in the, in the Miami Beach area, he didn't draw nearly as high a percentage as Hillary Clinton did. But it's, it's way too early to discover what's, you know, what... Uh, uh, what the reasons are. The the, for, the formative thing that people need to know right now is that um, that nobody gets to declare who the winner is in any official capacity, except in December when the Electoral College meets on the basis of states certifying the elections, uh, the results of the election. Um, and and if he, you know, if no one is going to concede here. That means essentially nothing officially, but it could mean a lot of trouble.
0: You had mentioned, you know, a recount in some cases, and and I know, you know, that's key because, you know, we're talking about uh, who also then controls the Senate, you know, based on some of those uh, those other races.
2: Yeah, the, the recount thing, of course, like almost all election administration, it's the federal government has got nothing to do with it, and there aren't federal laws about it. Each state has their own recount laws. The way we do here in Wisconsin, for example, where the Trump people have asked for a recount um, is uh, they have it. As, so if you're within one percentage point difference, which they are there, then um, you get an automatic recount. You don't have to you don't have to give a reason why. And, and I think if you're in a half a point, the state pays for the recount rather than anything else. Other states have different things. Remember, Hawaii until very recently, didn't really have a no-excuse recount, where you really had to petition with reasons to get a recount, and, and Hawaii's changed that. So, so one of the things that's certainly likely to happen, and this happens in, in you know, almost any election that's close, you're going to have some kind of recounts. That's what you, in effect, had in Florida during 2000, the year 2000, which became dramatically important because it decided who was going to win the, the, the whole thing. Um, so that's a kind of ordinary thing, and even some litigation is ordinary. But my guess is that this is going to this process is going to carry itself out for a number of weeks, and partly because there's going to be challenges um, to uh, the eligibility to to which votes get to be counted. There's no question you can count all the votes. The question that will be argued probably has to do with um, whether the votes are, are acceptable or not,
0: and you know, I think in two thousand, I think we had to wait like a month. To yeah, before sure. We're... Well,
2: you can't wait past mid-December. I mean, it gets really it gets really tricky. You, the 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 uh, Constitution has certain dates in it about when a person, you know, it, it says when the Electoral College is supposed to meet. What happens if it doesn't? You're going to have a president in place uh, by. Uh, by the inaugural, it could be frankly it could be someone like Nancy Pelosi because of the way the rules work. If you can't select, but I think that um, you know that whichever, however people feel one way or the other about their candidate over the next few days, they shouldn't feel like that's a permanent feeling because I think there's going to be a whole lot of things going on. And as far as as the violence is concerned, what that person you interviewed said. Um, it's, it's a little early to know, but, you know, there's certainly the emotions were this high and that the level of fear and loathing that each side has for the other has been well documented um, and has been around for a long time. It's, you know, it's kind of an exaggerated polarization. There are a percentage of people, probably around 20 percent, according to some polls, that suggest that are willing really to use violence under some circumstances. So, um we're certainly just barely into the woods.
0: Right, right. Okay, well, we'll uh, keep our fingers crossed that cooler heads prevail all around, across the country, and, uh, and then we'll wait to see uh, uh, the outcome. But thanks so much, Neil.
2: Sure, take care.
0: Neil Milner is a retired political science professor and a contributing editor for our segment, The Long View. And this morning, Jerry Burris joins us to talk about the Hawaii races. Burris is the former political reporter and opinion page editor at the Honolulu Advertiser. Good morning, Jerry.
3: Good morning. How are you after a late night?
0: Yes. Well, it was an interesting night, <laughs> yes, for, for so many people. So uh, I guess the, the big race here in Honolulu, the, the mayor's race.
3: Yep. Well, it was, uh, incontrovertibly, it was Rick Blanchardy. I mean, he won handily. And so that's pretty much a mandate to come in and be the mayor. But the question is, is how is he going to uh, deal with a, a council, which would be a new experience for him? He's used to being an administrator and the boss. And when you're in politics, when you're in city government, you're not the boss, you're the mayor, but the council also considers themselves the boss. So you're going to have an interesting dynamic there going forward as they settle out their relationships.
0: Yeah, and, you know, he will have a learning curve. Uh, you know, we watched other mayors. Uh, come in from the outside uh, with uh, no experience running a city, uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what kind of team he formulates.
3: Well, I, you know, I, I'm, here's my guess. You want to hear something? I okay. think that somewhere in the, in the Blanchard administration, you're going to find uh, Colleen Hanabusa, who's an experienced political person, and she kind of balances off against Rick, who is Rich who's kind of new to politics, although not new to administration. So that would she might become managing director.
0: Ah, that that's an interesting uh, it, uh, name, it, and, and it's
3: not that I know anything. It's just I'm just a guess there because okay. she did endorse him in the in the campaign,
0: right? And and uh, I'm sure then uh, you know we've seen the, his uh, backers. Uh, you know they they draw from certainly a, a, a broad range. Uh, you know of folks in the community, and we'll see who steps up to join his team.
3: Of course, you know, one of the interesting things about this race is, is it was more on the other side. Of Keith Amamiya made it a Democrat versus what he, he attempted to make it a Democrat versus Republican race. And, uh, you know, he campaigned ardently as a Democrat, although uh, Langeardi didn't, didn't really identify that way. But um, So it would be interesting whether the Democrats in the town and, and on the council, even though they're nonpartisan officially, will be able to cooperate with and, and work with uh, as the new mayor.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, you were around certainly when that change happened, right? It was the, the, the um, Patsy Mink led the charge when the three councilmen switched parties, yeah. uh, and, you know, that led to a, a tumultuous time. But then th- that took the, the politics out of it. So, yeah, it was interesting that he, that Amma Mia tapped the Democratic Party uh, folks to help him in his campaign. But
3: don't think that, although it's nonpartisan officially, don't, don't think that people don't have partisan affiliations and, and leanings. Going forward, and although I don't know how much that plays out in, in sewers and roads and so forth, but it, it still plays out in some occasions.
0: Well, it'd be curious because when you look at the union endorsements, right? Uh, what government unions uh, stood behind Amamea, uh in the in the campaign? And, A number uh, of them, although yes. I guess
3: Manjari got the police union,
0: mm-hmm. which so is
3: critical right now.
0: Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens during negotiations. and, and how one, they one of
3: the things that I'm sure that the new administration will be watching for, we're trying to learn about is, is you know, we use the phrase the deep state kind of um, loosely in the national level where, you know, there's, a, there's this level of bureaucrats and officials who just, no matter what elected officials do, they really run the government. And that may not be true 100 percent, but there is kind of a an institutional bureaucracy in the city that um, – you need to work with and you need to have cooperation from. I mean, you can't just order them to do things. It's it's a political situation. So one of the first tasks for the new mayor will be to establish a working relationship with what you could call the deep state or the established bureaucracy in the city. And that's gonna be interesting to watch because not even 95% of the people making decisions are not elected.
0: The other thing is really the, the council, because you've got a lot of new people on the council. Uh, and you know some are veteran lawmakers, uh, yep. and a number of them are women.
3: That's good. There's good. It's a good mix there. And uh, the race, I guess, we're watching most closely is Augie Tulba versus uh, Willie Sparrow, which is Augie seems to have won it, but it's very close. And uh, there are still a few votes to be counted out there, and that that could, I suppose, they're they're going to wait a little bit on that to make sure. But that's one that, otherwise, everything looks in line.
0: Right. You, but you've got Esther Keina. Um, Coming in with a large uh, um, margin over Greg Thielen, Radiant Cadero, uh, you know, coming in for District 7.
3: And she's uh, basically inheriting the district from uh, from her boss, her previous boss, Joey Manahan.
0: Right. It'll so be interesting to see how uh, the council works with the new mayor.
3: They will work well at the beginning, and then we'll stop working well as things <laughs> go the way they always have.
0: Okay. <laughs> uh, what about the neighbor islands?
3: Well, I think you talked about, uh, Mitch, uh, you know, on the Big Island, mm-hmm. the mayor's race there. Um, one of the interesting things was on Maui, where um, they decided they didn't like term limits. Yeah. Which okay. is kind of interesting, because uh, on Oahu, as you know, they, there was overwhelming support for term limits for the prosecutor. But uh, for some reason, so if you're looking for a theme for the whole election, is is it a public revolt? Is it out with the old-timers and in with the newcomers? Well, I can't really think you could say that because in in one case, like in Oahu, we got a new mayor who has no political experience. On the other hand, we have other islands where they're saying, no, we don't want term limits. We kind of like continuity. So it's an interesting kind of mix there.
0: Right, in the Honolulu prosecutor's uh, office You've got Steve Alm, who who's, you know, an experienced uh, lawmaker, and so... Uh, oh, he's, he's going to have no
3: trouble. He's going to step right into it. He's, he's, he's been in the trenches before. He knows the office. He knows what works and what doesn't work, and I think uh, that, that'll be a fairly smooth transition right there.
0: And then as far as some of the uh, initiatives that we uh, were keeping a close watch on on Maui, uh, I know we had talked initially about that managing director's... <laughs> uh, well,
4: folks figured out
3: that they don't want two mayors on maui they only want one
0: yeah you saw it as like a power grab
3: it was it was sort of a i mean i don't know if it was a deliberate power grab but that's the net result of it if you have a managing director who's not directly responsive you know is appointed not strictly by the mayor you're going to have a, a separate a separate office of power there and so i think the voters on maui recognize that there's a possibility for a lot of trouble there a lot of pilakia if if you have two in in effect two mayors
0: well i did talk to uh uh, someone who was with the the losing side who said well you know no it's not that way at all that this was something that uh you know they've been uh, that they've been working on for many years and they were using uh you know other models on the mainland where this is in in uh, uh in play uh so really disputed that fact that it was a power grab but Vol- no, no. I mean,
3: it may not have been a power grab in that person's mind, but it's but as a result, you have two centers of power
1: mm-hmm.
3: I mean we have they have strong mayor uh, systems across the country and weak mayor systems in some some cities and some counties, uh, it's the managing director runs everything and the mayor is an elected figurehead and but in in Hawaii we've tended to have the elected mayor being the the center of power and the managing director being subservient. and so I guess they like to keep it that way.
0: And then the other thing uh, that was interesting was this Department of Agriculture.
3: Yeah, well, I think that, that one was, uh, they, as we talked about before, I think they there was an interest, in, in it's the anti-GMO group that are, that are really focused on that.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And, and, and you know, uh, I mean, obviously the, the water, water rights are still very sensitive there on Maui, and now there's a big push, you know, to be self-reliant with yeah. our, our covid filter and so yeah how, <laughs> how is that office going to work and Would, um you know is it it'd be they, interesting to watch
3: yeah now that they have a department of agriculture or will have um it depends on how they, it's going to be an advocate for ag and it depends on will it be an advocate for big ag which is the traditional thing that's happening in hawaii in other words speaking for pineapple and sugar or will it be an uh, advocate for small ag and diversified ag and non-gmo and i think that's the direction they're hoping it's going to go
0: yeah. So all, all very interesting, and uh, we will see then uh, how this actually plays out uh, in 2021. Uh, one
3: one thing is, I noticed that uh, I was kind of surprised that the number of votes for Trump in Hawaii he got about 30 some percent, and um, but it didn't seem to be there weren't any coattails or there. there weren't I didn't see any Republicans elected that you weren't expecting to be.
0: Yeah, I okay. think even in in the uh, House, I think they lost some. Lost some ground there. They lost
3: some ground there. Sam Sloan was made, trying to make a comeback in, out in Hawaii, Kai and he, he didn't make it. He
4: right. got a
3: little bit more than the, than the president did in terms of total vote, but uh, he still fell short to St- Stanley Chang. So no, there certainly wasn't a year for the Republicans in Hawaii.
0: Right. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much, Jerry. Appreciate your time.
3: Okay. Bye-bye.
0: We were talking to political analyst Jerry Burris about the uh, various Hawaii races and the outcome of uh, 2020 general election.
5: Report for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, presenting Katsuhika Hokusai's Great Wave off Kanagawa, also known as The Great Wave, on view November 12th through the 29th. Honolulumuseum.org
6: Foreign powers that want to meddle with the election are...
7: Reporters for the world look beyond our borders. I've
6: been speaking with a few people inside
7: Iran about presidents how... Presidents of Guatemala, Honduras, Bolivia... Next time on The World, global reaction to the U.S. election. Actually here in the U.K. in our last general election just... All eyes on the U.S., on the world. Starting this afternoon at 1.
5: Support for HPR comes from Alexander and Baldwin, owners and managers of office, industrial, and retail properties across the state. A and B, building partnerships in Hawaii for 150 years with a commitment to provide for the needs of island communities
0: we now head to the Big Island where former County Prosecutor Mitch Roth defeated political newcomer Ikaika Marzo to become the next mayor of Hawaii County HBR's Kuvehi Rishi joins us she was following that race all night good morning Kuvehi good morning Catherine that's right all night (laughs) like
8: uh, like the rest of the state early results in in the in the mayoral race on Hawaii Island arrived much later than, than expected four hours uh, to be exact, uh, while most of the delay was due to, to long lines outside polling places on Oahu, uh, the Big Island actually did uh, experience its share of election day delays. Uh, Hawaii County Elections Program Administrator Pat Nakamoto uh, says much of it had to do with COVID-19 precautions. Uh, for example, there's a limited number of people allowed in uh, two polling uh, places at any one time, and the polling booths were also uh, needed to be spaced out. Uh, for social distancing, and so that limited uh, the amount of voting that could occur at any one time uh, even further. Uh, A bulk of the voter turnout on the Big Island, a little over 65% did come by way uh, of mail-in ballots, Uh, but more than 4,500 Big Island residents did head to the poll yesterday uh, and in early voting
0: uh, the week prior um, to vote. Now you know, were were there scores of people lined up, you know, at those polling places at seven when when they were supposed to close? I mean, I don't know. You're from you're from Hilo, you know, you know that town. Yes,
8: and I actually uh, thanks to the Hawaii Tribune Herald, uh, which reported that at least a hundred people were lined up outside Alpuni Center in Hilo uh, at seven p.m. last night, uh, when the polls were supposed to close. So. They did about an hour delay uh, on the Big Island um, for that to happen, but as we know, uh, the long lines here on Oahu was really the the source of the delay for overall results. Uh, but the Big Island only had two voter service centers open uh, that day, and that was at least from uh, critics. That's you know one of the reasons why it may have taken a lot of people uh, a while to commute and also get there uh, if they had to work and whatnot. Uh, So that's something that's on their minds. Uh, But uh, this delay really threw a wrench in in these plans, election day plans for the Hawaii County mayoral candidates themselves. Uh, Ikaika Marzo, Kalapana native and local entrepreneur, uh, had plans to read the results of the first printout in Kona and then make that two-hour trek for anybody who's been to the Big Island, (laughs) back to Hilo for final results. But as we know, uh, that kind of uh, threw a wrench in things of uh, former prosecutor Mitch Roth also had scheduled a virtual campaign event uh, where he and his close friends and family uh, due to COVID would gather and then um, meet the rest of the supporters by way of Zoom. But they had only really planned an you know, hour, maybe several hour event to read the The election results, but they hadn't anticipated keeping the public entertained for hours, for five (laughs) hours. So (laughs) here's Roth uh, reading the first printout numbers to the audience at that gathering.
1: We're at 57.48,895 votes. I think that's it, gang.
8: (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) It was a long night uh, for campaigners there, but uh, Roth went on to Garner a little more than a thousand additional votes, and winning the race with nearly fifty-seven percent of the Big Island's votes. Uh, Marzo did see a slight bump after in-person votes were tallied, uh, but not enough to take to take the lead. And this wasn't Ross's first uh, island-wide campaign, other than mayor, county prosecutor's, the only other county-wide race which he won uh, twice. Uh, so Ross, you know, in trying to think about what he's going to do next, he's he's planning to assemble his cabinet team around this uh, philosophy he has uh, for government. Here he is explaining uh, sort of his reaction to,
2: to the win. I, we kind of felt that that was what was going to happen, but, you know, we didn't want to jinx ourselves. We were very, very happy with uh, the results. You know, I, my hat's off to Kaike, He ran a great race. You know, the our idea was to change government to a government that helps people thrive and succeed. And uh, you know we should be serving versus trying
4: to control things, and uh, I think that was I
2: think that resonated in a lot of people's minds.
8: And that the mayoral race uh, was definitely uh, uh, the headliner, but that wasn't the only race in town for the Big Island. Hilo's Kali uh, Kahele is headed to Washington D.C. Yes. Uh, as the next U.S. representative for Hawaii's second congressional district. Uh, he beat out Republican Kana in that race, and he will be the second Native Hawaiian uh, in Congress, but also the first member of Hawaii's congressional delegation to reside on the neighbor island at the time of being elected.
0: Yeah, I no, uh, you know was, he, he had oh, expected ahead. certainly to uh, run up against uh, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, and right. then when she uh, pulled out, <laughs> he was he just had a clear path. Uh, he did, and and I think, um, but he, you know, he took it very seriously. I know
8: a, a lot of campaigning was done, um, at least more so uh, than than in the past. But uh, there was also some some shuffling of seats among Big Island delegates to the state legislature, uh, state senate uh, seat in Puna and Kau, uh vacated by Russell Luderman, was won by George yes. Joy uh, San Bonaventura, who actually. Uh, was a representative for Puna, so she went over, joined the state senate. Uh, former county councilman Gregoire Elagan had uh, taken her seat as state rep uh, for Puna, and then the former Miss uh, Kona Coffee Junior Capella uh, enters the state house of representatives, taking over the Kona seat and co- seat by uh, Richard Kriegen. Um And right. so, you know, I, I think uh, looking at the results of this. Uh, this mayoral race at least. A lot of it seems to be a nod in, in terms of um, wanting someone a bit more experienced in county government uh, to take the Big Island through uh, the economic recovery of COVID and kind of building blocks to uh, a recovery overall for the Big Island.
0: Yeah, I mean Gil Agaran, you know, no stranger uh, to politics and government. Uh, uh, yeah, and then um, uh, uh you know, with with the the win uh, for Senator that uh, uh, yeah, that's obviously a, a step up. So yeah, a really uh, interesting uh, t- a turnout there on the big island. I mean, I I know there have been times where we've seen, gosh, uh, newbies uh, in the mayor's right. race, uh, Bernard Kana. You know, th- th- that was always a one surprise race that just gets burned in my mind
8: yeah and i do think that um you know the the amount of turnout that uh marzo was able to to um bring to the elections i've heard from a number of folks who you know were voting for the first time because they felt that uh he was their candidate and i think uh ross uh definitely will um be taking advantage of, of bringing some of those voices into uh, his administration and making sure that um you know the 35 36,000 people who voted for Marzo uh, will be a part of the, the future vision for the Big Island.
0: All right. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Kuvehi, and get some sleep. Yeah. Mahalo, Catherine. Aloha. That was Kuvehi Hiraishi. You can find her stories and follow HPR's election coverage online at HawaiiPublicRadio.org. Continuing our look at the election results on our reality check today, we feature Honolulu Civil Beats reporter Anita Hofschneider. You've been, uh, uh, you were tracking the uh, races for the Office of Hawaiian Affairs. So what was your biggest takeaway?
6: Wow. So the Office of Hawaiian Affairs races were really interesting this year. Um, as you may know, the, Dan Ahuna won his re-election campaign um, to represent Kauai back in the primary. But uh back then, Luana Alapa had edged out Colette Machado, um, but she didn't win enough to win outright. And so Colette Machado has served on the Office of Hawaiian Affairs since 1996, more than two decades there, and she was really hoping to keep her seat. She's also the chairwoman of the board, but um, she, she was actually defeated by Alapa. Alapa got 34% of the vote, and Machado got 27% of the vote. So that's a pretty big deal. Um, you know, Machado has been there for so long. Uh, but one thing I would say that was interesting about that is um, it looked like uh, Machado actually won when it comes, came to Maui County voters. And that's significant because the seat is actually representing Molokai and Lanai. And so it seems that although statewide, um, you know, was the winner, Machado actually did really well among the people that the seat is supposed to represent.
0: Yeah, you kind of wonder what was going on there. I mean, was, you know, the outcome because people weren't really tracking the issues and positions on things? You know, it's
6: it's hard to say, but, you know, there are always a lot of uh, blank votes. OHA races a lot of people aren't really familiar with it and some people tell me that they think that people with uh, names that are earlier in the ballot like like with a last names or or better known last names, sometimes do well in these races I don't I don't know if that's true but um, I definitely don't think that Machado was helped by some of the controversies that have plagued OHA in recent years with a state attorney general investigation and some um, ethics uh, violations among some of the other trustees and um, just kind of the inter- internal infighting and squabbles with lawsuits against one another, I think that um, they it, it kind of uh, heightened this feeling of disillusionment of, uh, among, about OHA in general, um, if not her specifically. And um, just being an incumbent and someone who's been there for that long, perhaps voters just wanted somebody fresh.
0: Yeah, there was a concern about transparency uh, because of the LLCs that were created uh, under OHA. And I know that was a big uh, sticking point with, um, uh, Kelly Akina, uh, and uh, he managed to hold on to his seat, right? Yeah, so I, I hear that we
6: still have a few votes trickling in, and it's a very, very tight race uh, between Akina and Souza. But I also hear that the Office of Elections is saying they don't think it's tight enough to do a recount. Hmm. So um, based on the latest available results, it looks like Akina managed to keep his seat against uh, challenger Keoni Souza. And that's interesting how tight it was because Akina spent – so much money on this race, like by and far, way more than any other OHA candidate spent um, trying to maintain his seat. I'm sure you saw his advertisements all around. And um, he's really known for you know, his beating on that drum of transparency and accountability. And being, uh, he's definitely in that race. It was more of a, a partisan one where Souza was backed by more establishment Democrats and Akina was backed by uh, more you know, Republican voters. And, and you can kind of see that in, in how that shook out.
0: Yeah, and the other race uh, is uh, that of the Big Island, right, uh, for the trustee there. Akila Lindsay yes. came out ahead. Yes,
6: yeah, so I think, um, you know, supporters of Lanakila Manguel are going to be disappointed. You know, he's a progressive who had been very well known for his opposition to the 30 Meter telescope on Hawaii Island. Um, and he lost pretty badly to uh, Kayla Lindsay. Lindsay is the nephew of the current outgoing trustee and has also been an OHA staffer for many years. And so in a lot of ways, um, Kayla Lindsay was somebody who was uh, perceived as more moderate compared to Manguel. Uh, Lindsay had you know was less um, had less strong opinions that he was voicing compared with Manguel and um, it looks like that's what voters preferred because he came with uh, he won with
0: 40 percent of the vote compared with Mango is 26%. So the Lindsay family still has a presence there on OHA. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so, um, gosh, I mean, and as far as the, the turnout, I, I really haven't had a chance to, to look at, you know, blank votes. And like you mentioned, that's always a concern because everybody votes in this race, and they may not be as close to some of these Hawaiian issues uh, that Native Hawaiians are.
6: Yeah, so I was actually surprised, you know, during the... Um, Uh, primary, there were so many blank votes, you know, sometimes more than half of the votes would be blank. There's actually much fewer blank votes for this uh, general, about, um, you know, a third of the votes in each race were blank. Um, And so that's still high, but that's Mm -hmm. actually lower than I thought compared to the primary. So it seemed like more people were actually engaged this time around.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much. We really uh, appreciate your time, Anita. Thank you for having me. That was reporter Anita Hofschneider with today's reality check. To read her story online, visit civilbeat.org. is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. It's time now to go to UH, UH Professor Patrick Hart, who tells us more about a Hawaiian honeycreeper in our new weekly segment, Manu Minute.
7: In Ohia forests all over the Big Island, you can hear the song of the Hawaii kihi. It's one of over 50 species known as Hawaiian honeycreepers that all trace their ancestry to a single finch that came from Asia to Hawaii over 5 million years ago. Amakihi forage for nectar and insects, and sometimes even fly into neighborhoods in Puna and Kona. In traditional Hawaiian culture, their yellow and green feathers were used in beautiful ahu'ula, or feather cloaks, worn by the ali'i. and In stories, their calls were often seen as the scolding voice of reason. Because mosquitoes are not native to Hawaii, many hunter creepers don't have a natural resistance to mosquito-transmitted diseases like avian malaria. But lucky for us, the amakihi is one of the few that does. For Hawaii Public Radio, I'm Patrick Hart from the Department of Biology at UH Hilo.
5: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Maui Academy of Performing Arts, live streaming Songs for a New World, a musical exploring life, love, and hope this Friday and Saturday. Tickets at MauiAcademy.org. Hey, this is DJ Mr. Nick inviting you to join me in Generation Listen, an HPR project that connects younger listeners with the station and with each other. Think of it as a welcoming social club with unique and accessibly priced events, engaging conversation, and a diverse group of people. And right now, all of our events are virtual, so they're open to neighbor island people too. Come join us, won't you? Follow us on social at HPR Jen Listen. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Mid-Pacific Institute's School of the Arts, offering intensive and immersive arts training, now accepting applications for the 2021-2022 school year. midpac.edu
0: You know, we know Halloween is pow, so pumpkins may not be high on your list anymore. But today, we're talking about another orange fruit popular this time of year: persimmons. Local fans of the fruit know about the coveted persimmons grown in Kula. The fourth-generation family farm restructured recently, and the three brothers, John, Noel, and Clark, have each carved out a piece of the business. We talked to Clark Hashimoto, who's harvesting trees that his grandfather planted, that are said to be about a hundred years old.
4: You know, we we're hopeful that. My son will take over, or my daughter, or my grandson, you know. But because it's a seasonal crop, you know, it's it's hard to make a living just on uh, two or three months. So, you know, what we're trying to do is just uh, see if the tradition can keep on going. Right now, my uh, grandson, is. you know, he just got back from uh, junior college. He got his associate degree, and so he's helping us out on the farm now. Because it's just a family-run farm, you know, just myself and my wife.
0: Well, what's involved in keeping this tradition going you know, for your family, you know, describe a typical day.
4: Well, you know, during the season, a typical day is uh, what we're doing right now is uh, we're harvesting every single day and we sell out every single day. You know, (laughs) so it's uh, really hard to keep up, you know, because it depends on uh, if the fruits ripen or not. If they don't ripen in time, you know, we can't harvest. So right now we're harvesting every day and uh, my wife takes care of my wife, Jackie, takes care of the um, the sales, you know, at the farm because uh, a lot of the customers are walk-ins or they call in and place an order and they come to pick it up. In the past, we used to have a lot of people come from Oahu, Hawaii, or even the Big Island uh, to pick up the persimmon, you know, and Komoras, and whatever it is and then they just make a day and they go back so this year because of the pandemic we've opened it up to um mail order to the neighbor islands. oh there so you go shipping like every shipping like 1825 25 boxes every week mainly to oahu
0: and so you ship directly to the
4: right now we uh we have a hard time keeping up with uh local demand and we have a lot of requests from like down to earth and manafu. they've requested and uh we have a wholesaler who takes about, you know, 7 to 10, 30-pound crates a week. And, you know, we've got calls from two vendors who do um, farmer's markets on Oahu who wants uh, 5 to 10 crates a week, <laughs> which we cannot provide because we don't have enough.
0: Tell us about the types of persimmons that you grow there.
4: First off is what we have now is the maru, M-A-R-U. It's a astringent type of persimmon that it's come in early, which is good. And it's a yellow, green in color. And what we, it's astringent. So what we have to do is we use dry ice to cure the puckiness. We leave it in dry, one one pound of dry ice and 40 pounds of persimmon for 24 hours. And then in a day or two, you can eat them. So they're still crispy and, and the, this is very sweet. So secondly, we have the Fuyu, which is the most common one. You know, California sends all their Fuyus to Hawaii. So this type of variety we don't have to cure so you can harvest wash it and you know sell it right away
0: so it's not that tart it's um, sweet well
4: it's sweet but not as sweet as the motto the process is you know the, for the motto is that you got to pick it you got to cure it then you got to take it out wash and then and then we can sell it but the fuyu, you you take it out and you can wash it and sell it right away so the not as much work.
0: And then the third type.
4: And third one is the hachiya, oblong type orange uh, variety that you have to eat it soft. So the, uh, the old folks, you know, they like that, and they uh, when they eat it soft, you know, it's like pudding.
0: So, does that mature a little bit later?
4: Yeah, in November, second week in November. A lot of Koreans love that. And uh old Oriental uh, people, you know, they like the hachia.
0: Tell us about your yeah, value but, added
4: products. Yeah, the value added, uh, you know, first is the uh, dried persimmon. Mainly using the um, maru fruit that cannot go as a fresh fruit. We peel it and, you know, dehydrate it as uh, dried persimmon. So, that's uh, very popular. You can hardly keep up on that, too. And then we also have persimmon jam and persimmon butter. And this year, they're flying out like hotcakes, so, you know, it depends. Sometimes, you know, it's not as popular, but some people are buying a few cases at a time and saying that they're supporting locals. You know, they make, I guess businesses make baskets, and they say they want to buy local and support the local, which is, you know, really good.
0: Yes, and particularly during this time, you know, we've got yeah. to find a way to become more resilient and really beef up our food production. So when we look for different products, it's like, what can we shore up? What can we expand if the demand is there? We didn't know what
4: what to expect this year because of of the pandemic. If people weren't going to buy and stuff like that. So we're kind of up in the air until the season started and then this started coming. Of course, you know, mask is required and social distancing. But we've been having a lot of customers and uh, we're sold out for the next week and a half, I guess.
0: Well, that's great.
4: So, so yeah, it's great. But... uh,
0: you need more you know,
4: persimmons. We, yeah, we need more persimmons. Well, you know, when we had one big farm, you know, we could supply everything. But now we got to be more resourceful. And
0: How many acres uh, does your farm cover now? My farm now covers
4: about two and a half acres and maybe uh, 200 trees. So, you know, in the past we had 500 trees. So that, you know, split in three. So
0: I see. So then each brother has their own trees?
4: Yeah, own, their own trees, yeah.
0: And so are they doing a similar model or everybody's doing it their own way. How does that work? I know it can be complicated with families Um, sometimes.
4: I'm sure, yeah. (laughs) um, They're doing their own. I think we're the only ones that are really open every day to the public. Right now we're open 9 to 3 every day, 7 days a week until the season ends. I plant stuff like, you know, Fuji apples and some other things. So when people come, you know, they walk down the road and they can see all the different things, you know. So it's just not just come pick up and leave you know, they can kind of walk around, pick their own, but, you know, it's too much liability yeah. for a small operation like ours.
0: So what's the biggest challenge, you think, then, is just uh, being able to stay in business and, and uh, keep somebody in the family interested in uh, in growing persimmons?
4: You know, for me, uh, I grew up on the farm and uh, worked on the farm all this time, and, you know, I took vacations to help you know, with the persimmons and stuff like that. But now it's one of my sons is, uh, well, two of my kids are teachers, so they can't really take off, yeah.
0: <laughs> Anything else that so, you want to just share just about persimmons in this time of year? Because everybody's, you know, thinking of pumpkins, but, you know, that's not the only orange uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. fruit out there.
4: So, you know, we have that cooler Country Farms down the road. So usually they go pick up their pumpkins and they come up here and pick up their persimmons So it's, uh, you know, we uh, feed on each other.
0: Right. Test the season.
4: Yeah. But, you know, it's not only the harvest. You know, after the harvest, we have to prune every single tree. The upkeep is all year round.
0: What is it that you love about persimmons? Well,
4: aside from the uh, tradition, you know, it's, uh, well, kind of rewarding when you, you know, you see all the fruits on the trees and that all the care that you put into it, you know, is paying off. So, you know, more and more people are. You know we've got different people coming up every year, and uh, so you know the fruit itself is very popular. It's not as easy as (laughs) it seems, yeah. Because other than this, you know, because normally just my wife and I during the week, and then uh, our um, kid, our family comes on the weekends to help. But we have to um, harvest, you know, to keep up with the orders, so with my grandson here it's uh, it's a blessing because at least we can keep up with the harvest.
0: And persimmon season runs October to December you know we, we were talking with Maui's Clark Hashimoto uh, who sells fresh persimmons and persimmon products and if you're lucky enough to get your hand on one of the Hashimoto grown fruit you can then appreciate the history of this family's backbreaking work and the niche they have carved out in our community. Mm-hmm. to go now but up tomorrow we'll be featuring a big island family uh, another business that is set to mark its 100th year in the islands so what did you think about the election results? Call our talk back line, 808-792-8217. Post your comments on Facebook at The Conversation HPR or tweet us at Hi Conversation, And our email works too, back at org. Find all our archive shows online. Just look under HPR News and Talk for The Conversation on org. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of The Conversation.